Good morning, 11 o'clock. Give Jesus some praise this morning. Come on. He's good, isn't he? I hope God has been good to you this week. You know, I love coming in and, and worshiping with you and just focusing on how good he is, and then we get to get to praise Jesus. Um, so welcome to the Refuge Church. My name is Adam Harold, and if I've never met you, then uh, it is our privilege to have you in the Lord's house with us today. My wife, Tanya, and I have the privilege of leading this community that we call the Refuge together. We are a team, and she is pretty amazing. So um, today is day 15 of 21 days of prayer. So um, for 21 days at the beginning of every year, we, uh, we, we intentionally focus on uh, seeking the Lord, seeking God together. And so um, today's day 15. That means we have one week left. You have one week to, to, to decide to come at 6 a.m. into this building with us. So every day, uh, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m., from 6 to 7, uh, we come and we pray. And then on Saturdays at 9 a.m., we, we do it again because no one likes to get up and get to church at 6 a.m. on Saturday. So uh, we do it at 9 on Saturdays. And then on Sundays, we do it at uh, eight, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. So we do it during our service. And so this morning, um, as we focus on 21 days of prayer, we, every week we have a, a general prayer focus. And then every day we have a specific prayer focus. And so um, th- the first week, week one, our prayer focus was who God is. We wanted, I always want to start with who God is, right? Um, anytime I pray, I pray by, by giving God attention for who he is. I, I acknowledge who he is. But week two, we talked about who I am. And when we learn who God is, then we can discover who he made us to be. And so we talked about, or we, or we prayed about who I am. But then week, week three, this week, our prayer focus is who other people are, who, how God sees others. And we want to focus on how God sees others this week. And today's prayer focus is honoring other people, honoring others. It comes from, uh, from Romans chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. It says, but there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. And what I really believe this verse is pointing to is that when God honors people, he honors them by seeing them all in the same. He doesn't, show, he doesn't play favorites. God doesn't play favorites. What's amazing to me is I sat down and I wrote these prayer focuses out a couple of weeks ago as we prepared for 21 days of prayer. And um, I had no idea that today, as, we cho- as I chose honoring others, I had no idea that today was Sanctity of Life Sunday. However, God did. And I believe that there's, it's no coincidence that we're talking about honoring others on Sanctity of Life Sunday. At the refuge, and, I, and this may offend you, but don't worry, I'm going to offend you again. So, um, <laughs> but... At, at the refuge, we are unapologetically pro-life. We believe that babies are a gift from God, both the born and the unborn. 
We also believe in women. We also believe that God has chosen them to, um, to live in the identity of Jesus and that he's empowered them to be able to have babies. What a beautiful gift from God to be able to have a baby, to be able to hold a baby in the womb. And in that womb, that baby is closer to God than he, ever, he or she ever will be unless they receive Jesus and they go on to be with him. But as, as a human, that's the closest we can ever be to God in, in, our, in our mother's womb. It's, it's a sacred place. And so today we honor others. We honor the born and the unborn. We honor the male and the female. We honor the black and the white. We honor others. We don't show favorites. And so we want to, um, we want to begin today on day 15 of 21 days of prayer by honoring others with our prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is true, that it is alive, that it's active. And when I put it into place, God, it, it teaches me. God, it shows me what truth really is. God, I thank you that I don't have to figure out truth, that it's already established for me. Father, I, I pray that this morning as I do my best to communicate your truth, that you would use the Spirit to reveal to people what that truth is. Father, that you would lead them, that you would guide them into all truth. God, thank you for allowing me to be your mouthpiece today, to speak on your behalf. I pray that you would use me to speak to others. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, today is day three of a series that we're calling It Is Written 3.0 or It Is Written Revised Edition. And the reason why it's 3.0 or Revised Edition is because this is the third time that we've done this series. We've done it, um, we did it way back when we met in the high school, and then we did it when we were meeting online during uh, the dark days of COVID and, uh, and all that stuff. And so um, now we're doing it in our new building, and I just... I, I've kind of rewritten it a little bit, and it's re so that's why it's revised, but it's called It Is Written, and it's all about God's Word. Week one, we talked about questions, and we talked about how you have permission to ask questions, but we can't question God. So the big idea was when we question God, we reveal a determined heart. We've already made up our mind. But when we ask questions, we, we, we reveal a teachable heart. And so we want to approach God's word as teacher. We want to approach it like it can teach me something. Week two, last week, we talked about how the truth is revealed by the spirit. It's the spirit of God that reveals truth to us. I told you last week how this thought, this truth, took the pressure off of me as a communicator, took the, the pressure off of me as a friend, took the pressure off me as a father, as a parent, as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor, teacher. It takes the pressure off of me because I know the Spirit's the one that has to reveal truth to you. Unless the Spirit reveals truth, it's just words on a page, ladies and gentlemen. And so we have to have the Spirit reveal truth to us. That's why we pray for our friends to receive, the, receive Jesus so that the Spirit would reveal their need to them. Are you with me? And so 
we have to have the we have to pray and ask the Spirit to reveal truth. Today's big idea, if I have one thing I want to communicate to you. Today we're talking about the Bible being the solution. And if I'm going to talk about the solution, I feel like I have to have the big idea up front. The big idea is this. The Bible shows us that things are not falling apart, but things are falling into place. The Bible shows us that things are not falling apart, but things are falling into place. Let me say this, that things are not falling apart around us in the world, but things aren't falling apart in your life either. Things in your life are falling right into place the way God wants them to. And so the Bible shows us that. And when I understand God's word, I understand that it's the solution to all of the chaos in my life. If that be the world events, like the election that's coming up, or if that be I can't just, I just can't get my kids to obey me, right? Whatever it is, whatever it is, the Bible is a solution to the chaos in my life. Things aren't falling apart. They're falling into place. Today, I want to show you something that when I understood it, when I learned it, um, it showed me that, that this is true. Things don't fall apart. Things fall into place according to, to God's word. We'll get to that in, in, a, in a little while. But let's be honest, the Bible can be difficult to understand, right? Not, not necessarily the words on the page, but the context and the history and the culture. There's so much depth and so much meaning. And, and the reason I can read it year after year after year and I can learn something new from it every year is because it's so deep and so rich. And because it's so deep and so rich, sometimes that can be overwhelming, and so I have to seek it as teacher, knowing that I haven't had it, I don't have it, um, I don't have it all figured out, but it can teach me all the time. It's like when I, when I married Tanya, I loved her so much. I loved her so much that I asked her dad if I could marry her, and he graciously said, there are no refunds, just so you know that. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. And what he was saying is there will come a day when you will understand her more. <laughs> and as I've understood her more, I don't love her less. I love her more. For 19 years, next month will be 19 years. I don't look that old, do I? Because she's five years younger than I am. You want to know the secret of saying young? Marry, marry young. Uh, that's, 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 that side. <laughs> Squirrel? Um, so when I asked her to marry me, I loved her so much, but I love her more now because I understand her more now. This is the way God's word works. That when we understand God's word more, I believe we just fall in love with it even more than we ever did. That's his goal. That's his desire for us, that we would understand, seek to understand his word, and that as we understand it, we love it more. And as we love it more, we understand it more. Our goal is to love God's word, but it's also to live God's word. And then it's also to learn God's word. So if I could give you three L's this morning, love God's word, live God's word, and learn God's word. 
And I actually think that it could be in that order, that as you live God's word, you learn God's word. I, 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 in fact, I would almost argue that as if you seek to learn God's word before you seek to learn, live God's word, you've got it backwards. You have to live God's word before you can really learn God's word. Come on, somebody, that I'm preaching now. God's word is to be sought after, to be understood so we can love it. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be at this morning. You can turn there. We're going to read verses 24 through 27. Uh, but before I read that, I just want to ask the Spirit real quick, before we read his word, just to give him honor, to ask him to reveal truth to us. Let's pray. Father, you are uh, you're so good, and you're holy, and you're just, you're merciful. Father, you're gracious. God, I thank you that you teach us from your word. I pray, God, that it would be our foundation that we would stand on it. God, that we wouldn't build our lives on the sand, but we would build our lives on the firm foundation of your word. We ask you to reveal truth to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew 7, 24 says, Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and the floods come, the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. If you build your house on sand, it will crash. But the word of God is the bedrock, the firm foundation. Next week, we're going to talk about how we can make the Bible a firm foundation in our lives and build our, our, our houses, build our lives on the rock that will never collapse next Sunday. But today, we're talking about the solution, how the Bible is the solution to everything in life. All means all, and that's all it means, right? The Bible is the solution to all the chaos in my life, all the things that get me worried and dis distressed. When I was in Bible college, um, they taught us that there were three approaches to counseling. When you counsel somebody, there's three approaches that you can take. Now, um, as I have done ministry for 20 years and over the last two years or so, I've discovered a fourth that they didn't teach me in college. And of course, that's the, four, that's the one that I really hold to now, the one that they didn't teach me in college. Um, so way number one to counseling, the approach number one is what's called the, the, your typical psychological approach, your psychology approach. This is where you go and you sit down, you, you tell a therapist about you know, your past, your childhood, and and maybe they give you prescription medication to help you with, with um, dealing with the things in your life. And so this is a typical psychological approach. This seems to be most popular in Maine because there's, there are no Christian counselors in Maine. I don't know if you know that or not, but maybe you do because you've looked for one and there's hardly any um, around. But the typical psychological approach, that's number one. Number two is the integrated counseling approach. Now, this is where they, um, where we... Uh, combine God's word with psychology. And so 
Um, let's be honest, there are some, some um, issues, some, I would even call them diseases that, that are present in people that we need medication for um, to, to help us balance chemicals and things like that in our, in our lives. And so this is saying that you can use medication plus, plus God's word and integrate psychology in the Bible. That's approach number two. Approach number three is just a strict biblical counseling approach, which is called fancy word, newthetic counseling. Newthetic counseling is when they just, the Bible's a solution for everything. You don't need anything else. That it is the only way that you need. Now, number four is one that I've discovered in the last couple of years. It's called the New Covenant Approach to Counseling. The New Covenant Counseling teaches us who we are in Christ. When we, when we die to ourselves, when we're crucified with Christ, and it's no longer us who lives, but Christ that comes to live inside of us. He makes us like him. He makes us completely new. This is the new covenant. This is what God wanted to do. He wanted to write the law on our hearts. And this is the counseling approach to understanding the new covenant and understanding Christ is alive in me. I believe it actually teaches me how and when to integrate psychology into my life and how and when not to, right? And so it helps us understand everything about Jesus, Colossians chapter 127 says, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory Ladies and gentlemen, when you receive Jesus, at that moment, he comes to dwell inside of you. We just have to figure out what that means. And the New, Co New Covenant Counseling helps us understand what that means. The Bible shows us things aren't falling apart, but things are falling into place. And to understand this, it helps if I look at God's word as a mirror. It helps me understand God's word if I look at it like a mirror. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I said, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to teach you something that when I discovered it, I go, oh, maybe the Bible is real. Oh, maybe the Bible is true. And it's that the Bible is a mirror and the mirror is the plot. The plot is the over, overall theme of the book, the overall story, the plot. And when I understand the mirror, I understand the solution. When I understand the mirror, I understand the solution. I believe that this teaching today can has the power to transform your life. So in order to see the Bible as a mirror, you have to see it as two sides. So a mirror has two sides, the mirror and the person looking into the mirror, right? Right? And so you have to look at it as two sides. It's not that the Bible is the mirror and it's reflecting me necessarily, but it's that the Bible reflects itself. I'm going to show you and you're going to understand. So in order to do this, we have to look at side A and side B. I, on, on the screens, I'm going to put, put a couple um, slides in just a moment, but si I put side one. I should have called it side A. It's just a little bit easier to understand. 
So side A starts in the Garden of Eden. We can put that up. Side A is the Old Testament, right? This is scene, scene one on side A. Maybe I, you know what I should have done? I should have, see, this is, I'm, I'm rewriting my sermon right, right before your eyes. <laughs> right before your eyes. I should have called it side A, and I, I should have labeled it track one, track two. All the artists and, the, and the, all, the, all you, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That would have been so much more clever. All right, so side A, track one, is God and righteous man, righteous man in paradise. Did you hear me? I said paradise. It was 16 degrees today, this morning. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is the Garden of Eden. This is God and righteous man together in the garden. This was always God's dream. It was perfection, paradise, no shame, no guilt. Everything was perfect. It didn't even rain in the Garden of Eden because the, the, there, was a, there was a ring of water that, that uh, surrounded the earth and the water from beneath the, the ground would feed the ecosystem. So it didn't even need the water. It just it already had the water. So it never rained. It was paradise. This was God's dream. This is still God's dream, ladies and gentlemen. Track two. <laughs> Satan and sin enter the picture. This is in Genesis chapter three through five. Probably the most tragic chapters in the Bible. Satan and sin enter the picture. What sin does is sin separates. And so when sin separates us, it separates us from God who is holy and perfect and just. No man can, ever, can, can be with God any longer because sin is present. Distance is created. And we still feel that distance today. In fact, that's the reason for the chaos. That sin entered the picture. And anytime sin is present, chaos ensues. This is why when you live in sin, you don't want to come to church. This is why when you live in sin, you, just, you don't want anything to do with God. This is why when you live in sin, things are chaotic in your life because sin separates. The world in this moment got so chaotic that God looked at it and goes, what in the world did I do? And he goes to track three. And in track three, we discover a righteous man by the name of Noah. Noah. Some of you went to Sunday school. <laughs> Noah. And when God said, what am I going to do? What did I do? What have I done? Noah was the righteous man that he said, hey, Noah, I see you're doing pretty good down there. Uh, why don't you build a big boat for me? A big ark. 
and Noah builds an ark that, and then the rain comes, the flood destroys the earth. And in track two, we see the world is judged and destroyed, destroyed by water. And then, but, but, but here's the problem. The problem is that sin is still present, that sin hasn't been removed. So once the, the water is, it destroys the earth and the, the earth is reformed, so to, so to speak, chaos still ensues because sin hasn't been addressed. And because chaos ensues, what happens the people get together and they say, we're going to form a one world government. And we're going to build this big tower that gets to God. And we're going to overthrow him. It's in Genesis chapter 11, known as the Tower of Babel. And so God, God sees them working together. And that's where he gives them multiple languages, right, to confuse them so they can't they can't, they can't understand each other. And, and so there's more languages that, so they can't communicate. He's like, I'm going to confuse them. But the problem is sin is still there. So things just get more chaotic and people get crazy. People get frustrated. And so God says, you know what? I'm going to give them some order. And he sets up what's known as the 12 tribes of Israel. This is amazing to me because the 12 tribes of Israel, we read this morning in the Bible recap. By the way, if you're not following us in the Bible recap, um, you're welcome to join us. You can talk to me afterwards. We can get you kind of situated somehow. But um, we read the Bible in a year together. Um, and, and this is why like, it's so good to read the Bible together because I can refer to it in my sermons when we're doing it. Um, but this morning we're reading in Genesis, I think it was 18-ish, uh, something like that. Um, and it was, we're talking about, about Jacob. Uh, so Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Jacob and Esau and how Jacob marries um, two women. Things were different back then. It's, it's a long story. We're not going to get into it, but um, so he goes and he works for his mom, Rebecca's brother, Laban. And Laban um, has him work for him for seven years because he wanted to marry Laban's beautiful daughter named Rachel. But then he, mar he, he works for him for seven years. And then Laban gives him Leah instead of Rachel. And so Jacob's like, dude, what happened? R Rachel was the agreement. I love Rachel, not Leah. And Laban's like, oh, my bad. You can, you can marry Rachel next week, right? And so like a week later, Jacob marries Rachel. But here's what amazed me this morning as I was reading God's word. And I wasn't even really thinking about my message. But God used Leah, who Jacob didn't love, really, to produce the 12 tribes of Israel. Really 11, but we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty right there. Because then Rachel would then have Joseph, who was the 12th. And so, 
Um, so Leah births the 12 tribes of Israel. God uses the 12 tribes of Israel to establish order amongst Israel, to, to establish Israel amongst mankind. What did he use the 12 tribes of Israel to bring forth to produce order? The law. Man, you succeeded in Sunday school. The law. The law created order. But the problem with the law is there's still sin. And the law is external. When all God ever wanted was to be internal. And so one way that we can look at the Old Testament is to look at it as external, but to look at the New Testament as internal. God just wants to give us a new identity. Identity is internal. It's from the inside out, not the outside in. The outside in is the law. That's all we could ever do, but the law never changed us. Internal is what changes us from the inside out. Jesus just wants to be in us and live through us. Everything leads to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. So we go to track B, uh, side B, sorry, side B, track A. Track one. I'll get there. I'm rewriting it, so it's, 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 a, it's a process. Side B, track A, track one is, sorry, track five now. So track five was the 12 tribes of Israel. Side B, we have to look at it. Listen, when you look into a mirror, I don't know if you know this, but things appear on the other side. So instead of track one, two, three, four, five, so at the beginning it's track one, two, three, four, five. Side B is track five, four, three, two, one, because it's the other side, it's a mirror. So track five isn't the 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> now it's the 12 disciples. 12 disciples, so tr track five is 12 tribes. On side A, side B is 12 disciples. Well, the 12 disciples are used to bring order, but this time with a solution for sin. And the order that the 12 tribes brought, 12 disciples brought, is the church. And the church is the order that we need to point us to who? Jesus. To point us to Jesus. So the, the church is the order that we need to point us to Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, this is where we're at right now in the timeline. If you want to know where, where we are, this is it. We are in the, in the process of the church. Scene five, side, side B. Hebrews chapter eight, verse 13. says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date, and it will soon disappear. The only reason and the only way 
that God can make the old covenant obsolete is because Jesus came to fulfill it. And when Jesus lived perfectly and died on a cross and rose from the dead, he made the old covenant obsolete once he resurrected. But Jesus taught his disciples what it was like to live in an identity of Jesus. And they go on to produce the church. And here we are. Then we get to scene, uh, scene four, track four. What was track four on side A? It was a one world government. Side B, guess what track four is? It's a one world government. Before it was a Tower of Babel. This time it will be an antichrist. Things aren't falling apart. Things are falling into place. This is where we're headed. And if, if, if you ask me, um, things are starting to formulate. You want, I mean, I, I'm not going to get into like biblical prophecy a lot today or anything like that. But um, sides are being taken. Alliances are being made. Um, if I can put on my tinfoil hat for just one second. This is why I stay away from AI. This is why I stay away from artificial intelligence. Because what we're doing is we're creating what God has already created. And we're saying, God, we're just as good as you are, which is exactly what they were doing at Tower of Babel. And so things aren't falling apart. They're falling into place. And there is coming a one-world government, a one-world government system. And after that, in scene three, side two, the world will eventually be judged and destroyed once again. The first time it was with water, the second time it will be with what? Fire. Fire. Here's the thing about fire. Fire refines things. Fire makes things perfect. Fire makes things pure. And what that fire is going to do is it is going to refine the earth and is going to make it pure once again. Because Jesus has already lived. He's already the answer for sin. And so because Jesus is the answer for sin and purity will come, guess what? Sin won't enter again because the law will be written on our hearts. Our identity will be in Jesus. We'll all be like Christ. And things will be pure. It'll be holy. It'll be perfect. So scene two is when once the, the earth is purified, Satan will be kicked out. Sin will be destroyed. And he won't come back because he will be defeated once and for all. He will be bound up, the Bible says. And that sounds pretty sweet to me. But it's not the sweetest. Because track one on side B, the same as track one on side one, is that God and redeemed man will be together in paradise. First time, it's righteous man. 
Second time, it's redeemed man. We will be perfect when we're with God in paradise this time. Did you know that um, the closest word in English that we have to the word paradise in, uh, in Hebrew and in Greek is the word resort? Did I say earlier that it was 16 degrees this morning? A resort sounds good right about now. Not a resort in Alaska, right? A resort in paradise. It will be perfect. It'll be everything that God has ever dreamed it to be. And best thing yet won't be the temperature. It'll be the fact that sin has no rain any longer. We won't struggle with evil. We won't struggle with sin. It will be Eden once again. One of my favorite things to do in God's word is to read Genesis chapter 22 and then to go back to Galatians, or to, sorry, Revelation chapter 22 and then go back to Genesis chapter 1. Because when I go to Revelation 22, I read about what is to come, but then when I go back to Genesis 1, I see where we started. Here's the point. The Bible is a full circle book. It started in paradise and it's ending in paradise. And that paradise is a real place. And it's coming again. So, in the first service, I, I talked about how, um, you know, Pastor Adam, this all sounds great, but, but why didn't God start with side B? Why did he even mess around with side A? And as, as I gave that, that message, I was, I was in between services. I, I went and I was, I was talking with someone in between services and this person was like, I know you said that, that, you know, that, that God wants us to have a choice, but I'm still struggling with why didn't he just do it right the first time? And, and that was the conversation. It was like, in my, in my human you know, thinking, I just think, why didn't, why didn't he just do it the first time that way? And I said to her, I said, so you have an adult daughter. And, and I know that I knew this person well, so I, I used, used her daughter's name. And um, I said, you have an adult daughter, daughter? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, when your daughter was growing up, did you ever notice her, like, living wrong? Like, making poor choices? And she goes, well, yeah. I said, did you allow her to continue to make those choices? Or did you say, no, you're not going to make any more choices? She's like, well, I, I let, her, let her make choices. I said, why? Why didn't you just start with the choices that she should have made in the first place? And she said, well, she, she had to learn. I said, bingo. We have to be taught that Jesus is the solution to our sin. And Everything pointing, everything's pointing to Jesus. Everything leading up to it was pointing to him. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 5, verse 39. I love this verse. 
He said, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Ladies and gentlemen, this book does us absolutely no good if we reject Jesus Christ. The Bible's the solution because Jesus is the solution. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And John, John says in chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. If that doesn't say that's Jesus, I don't know what does. Jesus is the solution. And maybe, just maybe, your life is in chaos right now. Maybe you need some Jesus to make sense of all of it. I don't have to have everything figured out. I, have to, I don't have to know the name of the person that will be the Antichrist. I don't have to have all of the answers. I just have to know that it's gonna happen because God word, God's word tells me it's gonna happen. And it helps so much if I trust in Jesus to be my solution. Stay on your feet. I wanna pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you glad you came to church this morning? glad three of you are. We're going to open up the doors to my right. It's on your left. And we're going to sing a song in a moment. But before we sing that song, I want you to know things aren't falling apart. No matter how bad your life is, things aren't falling apart for you. Maybe, just maybe, things have looked like they're falling apart to bring you to this moment, to where it could just fall into place, exactly where God wants it to be. So that you could get to a point where the Spirit could reveal the truth to you that you need Jesus that you need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved, that you need to be transformed from the inside out. And all that begins by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. It's not enough just to believe in him. You have to trust him. That's what we'll talk about next week. If you need Jesus today, if you, need, if you want him to be your solution, I want to invite you to say this prayer with me. Say, God, I know I need you. I know that sin has created chaos in my life. And I know that Jesus was the solution or is the solution to my chaos. God, I ask you to come into my life, to save me, to make me new. God, I know that you making me new isn't going to fix everything, but it's going to fix my heart. And that's the most important. So God, come into my life. Make me new and help me live for you. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Let's sing a song together.